Okay, let's look at this. Let's look at this fourth point. Tom's handing out some uh, little handout there. We're going to do a little exercise on uh, the purpose of Jesus. We've talked about the the four aspects of Titus three one through eight: obedience to the authorities, consideration for all men, compassion toward the unbeliever. And in the time we have left, we'll look at our mission. Let me read verse 8 of Titus chapter 3. <coughs> this is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. What is Paul referring to that is good and profitable for men? What is, what is he talking about? I think he's talking about the witness of our life. The fact that those who have believed God may be careful to do good deeds. And that these things will then be good and profitable for men. I'd like us to do a, just a short exercise on the uh, handout you have in front of you there. Dealing with the, 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 the purpose statement of Christ. And I'm sure that I have missed some verses, but I think I've got enough, I've covered enough of them that, that we're going to get a clear picture as we look at these different categories. And what I'd like to do, if you guys kind of get your Bibles ready, and, oh no, the verses are written out, so you don't have to get your Bibles ready. Get your hand out ready. And... Uh, Let's just read the verse, and then we're going to put a single word or two words that will kind of describe what that verse is stating in terms of the purpose of Christ, and I'll write them on the overhead up here. And so, for example, somebody start out and read, you know what, I don't, here it is, I got my hand out here, okay. Somebody read the Matthew 1, 20 through 21. This is the statements predicting the purpose of Christ. Somebody go ahead and read those out. Okay, what's the purpose that we see from that verse? To save, okay? Save the people. Now let's just say save. And so that's a clear purpose statement predicting the purpose of Christ. Now let's look at statements made by Christ himself concerning his purpose. And... Uh, Maybe we could take some tables. We'll go around, jump, jump to table to table, and, and Tom, maybe you could 
take Matthew 20 and then we'll just move around the table. Okay, what would you put on that? To serve, and let's say to give life. Okay? Mark 138. What was his pur purpose there? To preach. Mark 10.45. Okay, companion to Matthew 20, right? Serve and give life. Luke 4.18. Why did Jesus come? According to that verse. To preach and set free, give freedom. Okay, Luke 4.43. Next table. Okay, what was his purpose there? Okay. Divide or separate. Okay, Luke twelve fifty one. I'm sorry. Luke four forty three. Did I skip that one? Okay, yeah. Okay. Preach. Now Luke. All right. Luke 19.10. I'm sorry. Okay, which one did we miss? Did we catch them all? Okay. 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 What's the purpose there? Say give life. John three seventeen. We got a new table or what? John 3.17. How about that table in the back? Okay. Okay. John 4.34. Okay, what was his purpose in that verse? 
Okay. Good. John 10.10. 10. So give life, give life abundant. Next. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Okay, and, and we, what was he talking about? Yes. He came to die. John twelve forty seven. Okay. Save. John 18:37. So bear witness, okay? Now, let's just stop there for a minute and kind of take a little survey of these verses here. And I counted eight verses that were in the category of coming to save or to give life or to die, basically that, that type of purpose. Eight in that area. There were three that fell into the category of preach. And of course we know the message that he was preaching was the message of the gospel, which was, was the message of his death and giving of life. And then there's a, a verse on God's will and a verse on creating division, uh, both of which we could relate back to the ultimate purpose uh, without too much difficulty. And so we see that and I think I've got the bulk of the verses where Jesus made a statement concerning his purpose. Many of you have probably worked through the issue of developing your purpose and coming up with a statement. This is what Jesus said he was all about. And so that's the conclusion we come to from directly from, from Christ himself. Now let's look at statements made in the epistles. And we'll just keep on going around and start with 1 Timothy 1. 115. <laughs> <laughs> You know that in the councils of God, the sequence of where that verse was going to hit was predestined before the foundation of the world. <laughs> okay, Titus 2, Don. Yeah. 
Hebrews 2. What was his purpose there? Came to die and to deliver. To defeat death. To deliver from death. First John three five. Okay. Take away sins. First John three eight. Okay. What's his purpose there? Good. Okay, first John four nine. New table. So his purpose to give life. And we know that wherever we see giving life, that we, we know that he's talking about eternal life, right? We know his purpose was not to give temporal life because it was, that's, that's just strictly temporary. He raised Lazarus from the dead temporarily. Lazarus ultimately died. So his purpose went beyond the temporal again into the eternal. 4.10 So Christ came to bear our sins. Every sin, the Bible says, will be judged by God. Every single sin will be judged by God. It's simply a question of whether or not we're going to allow Christ to have taken the judgment for us, and that's what he's done in this verse, or whether the individual has to face it himself. 414. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Okay. And the last one, 1 John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding in order that we might know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ, who is true God and eternal life. Okay. So what's His purpose in that one? To give eternal life. Now, when we look at these, I don't know, I didn't count those up, but I think we have out of those nine verses, eight of them that would fall into the category of giving your life, coming to save, coming to die, coming to impart eternal life, those different areas, taking away sins. And one that deals with the area 
of destroying the works of the devil. So when we, when we go back to the statement we made at the end of the last session where we said that the mission of Jesus was to seek and to save the lost, not to correct the ills of society. Do we have a basis for that statement? Do we have a scriptural basis for that statement? We have a strong basis for that statement. These are the, this is the reason Christ's purpose was predicted. This is what he stated about his purpose. This is what the epistles have stated about his purpose. And let's just look at a couple final verses. In John 20, 21, we have transitional verses regarding the purpose of Jesus. This is the, the handing off of the baton, so to speak. The passing on of the, of the mission. Somebody read John 20, 21. Okay. How do we go? As the Father has sent Jesus, so he sends us, right? And I think we can draw the conclusion that what it's saying is, is that with the same purpose with which I was sent, it is with that purpose that I'm sending you. And we strengthen that argument when we look at 1 Corinthians 5. I'd like us to turn to that. And in 1 Corinthians 5, we have an outline of our mission. And as we read these verses, we're going to read verses 18 through 21. Just think of the words in terms of the purpose of Christ that we just studied and the fact that Jesus said, in the same way that I was sent, I'm sending you. And here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's our mission. That is what God has called us to. That is the baton that Christ passed to his disciples and on into the disciples to come. Our goal is not to impact our culture by changing their moral values. Our goal is to be an ambassador through whom God can reconcile men and women to himself. The whole issue in this passage that we just read is reconciliation. And the whole issue, when you look at the purpose of Christ, is reconciliation. Now, we are called upon to confront society 
but we are called upon to do it in a manner that is persuasive and not a manner that is combative. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So, we're not to stick our heads in the sand. We're not to ignore the fact that there's a judgment waiting for people. But, when, but 2 Corinthians 5.11 speaks to the idea of their eternal best interest. And really, when you think about it, the whole issue of the ministry is serving people with their eternal best interest at heart. That's what it really boils down to. And so, we need to ask ourselves, do we have a strategy for that? Do we have a strategy to serve people with their eternal best interest at heart? Do we put as much effort and, and uh, uh, time and, and thinking and, and planning and uh, prayer and effort into the strategy of carrying out the Great Commission that has been passed on to us as we've read in these verses, as we do, for example, in, in uh, running our businesses. How seriously do we take it? And the strategy can be whatever you feel God wants you to do. There's a, there's a neighbor of ours that my wife and I have been praying for this couple since they moved in a few years ago, and, and he is just, don't talk to me about anything to do with the Bible. They don't, he, he doesn't want to go to church and uh, doesn't want to have anything to do with, with uh, what he equates as religion. And uh, we're just getting, over the last couple of years, we're just becoming friendly, friends with them. And uh, they have a little six-year-old that loves my 19-year-old. And she thinks Chrissy walks on water. And she comes over all the time. And so we have her over to the house. We take her with us out to dinner and little things like that. And little by little, we're really becoming friends with this couple. And so, you know, I mean, I'm thinking, how can we, we need to get out with them. We need to, and it's like the Lord said, no, I'll tell you what I want you to do. You drive by their house every day. They'll just live two doors down from us. You pray for Tom and Jeannie every time you drive by their house. Just pray for them. That's the strategy. That's, that's an example of strategy. And so we need to see this as, as something that God has called us to. Now, I'd like to close on the issue that came up before the break where we look at... at uh, the issues of stewardship responsibility and uh, what's legitimate and what's not and, and uh, what if we're called upon to do things. Uh, what if we're asked to, what was the illustration, march in, a, march in a pro-life rally. Certainly there's nobody here, I wouldn't think, that is uh, in favor of, uh, of abortion. Uh, we know that is that what God says about it. And so we have deep convictions on these issues. And nothing that I have said should be construed to mean that we should not have deep personal convictions on, on all of these things that are of importance. But what do we do in a case like that? When is it legitimate and when is it not? And I'd like to kind of throw that out and uh, kind of hear some feedback before I give you my opinion, which is what it is on that issue. Where do we draw the line or do we have to? Yes.
Yeah, do you, yeah, I, I think it does. Uh, I, I guess the next question would, in my mind would be, then I need to determine to the degree to which my participation in issues of that nature may become counterproductive to my ability to earn the right to be heard and therefore be an ambassador for Christ. Remember, that's what we are. We are, we are representatives of Christ. We are to represent his purpose in the world. And so when we look at the issue of, of stewardship being subordinate to, to our mission, then it seems to me that as I look at stewardship issues, I have to make a decision as to whether or not my participation in the stewardship issue is hindering my ability to carry out the higher issue. And I think that's what Jesus did with his life. That's the reason he was tolerant of sin. Not because he was in favor of it, certainly. It was because there was a higher reason. Why did he sit with the woman at the well? Why did he spend time with her? I mean, even culturally, that was a no. Forgetting her sin, just where she was from. Because he had a higher, higher calling, a higher purpose. The higher purpose was the individual. And it was the individual's eternal best interest. And so, personally, I have no problem with participation in those things. If an individual, if, if it's legal, and the individual feel feels that it's something that God wants them to do from a stewardship standpoint. But I would caution them by saying, make sure that it does not end up hampering your ability to carry out what your mission really is from, from Christ. Let's not let something good be the enemy of the best. Let, let's not let something that's optional in Scripture end up being the enemy of something that is mandated in Scripture. And so, I just jotted down three things that I think sum up, for me anyway, what I feel part of, the, part of the problem is that we're dealing with, and that is that much of what's being encouraged today goes far beyond sound principles of good stewardship in basically three areas. Number one, much of what is being done, the people behind it, seek to define what individual application should look like for the rest of the body of Christ. I have received correspondence. I have had people tell me that I, therefore, I, I must be in favor of abortion because I did not opt to participate in certain things. And nothing could be further from the truth. And what they have done is they've simply said, this is my personal application of this stewardship issue and by the way, it's what your application ought to be also. And whenever we do that, we become like the Pharisees. That's what legalism is. And so, so problem number one is that it seeks to define what individual application should look like for the rest of the body of Christ. Number two is there is an attempt to define efforts to improve society as being the mission of the New Testament church. This has become, this has taken place of the mission that the New Testament outlines. And unfortunately, in reality, it has for many people. They have dropped 
the mission of reaching the individual in place of the mission of correcting the ills of society. And the third problem I see with it is that it's being done in the name of Christianity. And for that, we're all paying a price to some degree or another. The price may be something like my neighbor not really wanting much to do with me because he kind of knows I'm a Christian and uh, but doesn't know where I fit in all this. And all he knows is, is that what he sees is not anything he wants to be part of and he distances himself from me. And I may not even know it. But we all are paying a price for the fact that what is being done is being done in the name of Christianity. And stewardship, when you look at stewardship issues in the Bible, not done in the name of Christianity. I have to paint my house. That's a stewardship issue. I don't paint it in the name of Christianity. I paint it as a stewardship issue. Same thing with our health and our everything. And so that has complicated the issue. And the caution is that I need to view all areas of stewardship from the perspective of what my ultimate mission is and my calling to participate in the Great Commission. So this is where we started and hopefully we leave today a little bit more committed to the calling, not the low calling, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, Paul said. Nothing Nothing could be higher than to be able to give your life for the very thing that Jesus, as we saw from laboring through 30 verses or whatever, the very thing that Jesus gave his life for. And the very thing that Jesus said, for this I have come. He says, for this I have come, and for this I send you. Carry the baton into the future generations. Let's close in prayer. Father, we, we do thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to participate with you in the greatest calling in all the world. We thank you for the lives that you've enabled us to be a part of. Thank you for touching our lives with your grace, drawing us into your family, giving us a purpose and a meaning to life that transcends the temporal things of this world. And I pray that you would help us sort these issues out for ourselves, and that we would then have the courage of our conviction to apply them to our lives. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.